Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast, back for another episode. This time we are reviewing the feeder series, which is Formula 2 and Formula 3 for this weekend, for the Austrian round of both championships. As always, I am joined by the Robin to my Batman, Jesse Billington. How are you, Jesse? I'm hot, but at the moment it looks like I'm in a 1980s music video because I've got two fans on me, so my hair is blowing delicately in the breeze. So it's a, uh, it's not actually that warm in my room. It's quite, it's quite comfortable with the fans on me, but uh, yeah, it is. He's experimenting for a 4D experience for the podcast. It, yeah, I'm gonna have like water being sprayed on me and scents pumped into the room through the day, so uh, we'll get the smell of burnt clutch and hot rubber. Every time you mention a driver that got on the podium, you're going to have a bit of champagne thrown in your face. Yeah, I think that's the best way. I think we should try and turn this podcast into a 4D experience. For It could be a Patreon thing if we ever decide to set up a Patreon. They get the 4D experience. When they listen to the podcast and we get to our winners section, one of us comes around and sprays them with Ferrari sparkling wine. And we can get people to sponsor us to buy a car that way, so it's, so it's all covered. I like this idea. But anyway, we're going to get back to F2 before we go really off the road, like some of the drivers did. But not as many as we thought they would this time, considering, considering the wet so, as well. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was I was going to say it's a very mixed weekend for both formulas, and I mean, we thought on Sunday maybe the rain would stay around long enough to be in the F one, but it dried up very quickly, and just shows that there is that kind of microclimate up in the Styrian Hills there. So, just craziness on top of craziness, which for Formula Three and Formula Two they don't need the extra craziness, but we'll take it anyway. And so some of the main things from F2 is what we're going to go straight into, which, first of all, Amori Cordiel is back after his race ban from Silverstone for already, at this point in the season, getting too many points on his licence. But he did all right overall. He kind of had one of his... He had one of his better weekends, considering yeah, where I mean, he was. Yeah, I mean, he set the benchmark. He still wasn't... Up. He wasn't on the podium. He wasn't winning anything. But he did... Or, better than we maybe thought he would and maybe capitalise on some of that chaos. Despite that, he did come home in one of the races at a lap down from his teammate, Jake Hughes, which is never ideal. But, you know, progress. Yeah, I think with Emery Cordill, I think just taking progress where it comes is going to be the way we're going to do it, because this is, what, the fifth, sixth round of Formula 2, and he had already accumulated a race ban, which is, if anything, quite impressive. Um i say impressive for all the wrong reasons, Yeah, impressive nonetheless. Yeah. Although, speaking of things that were impressive, uh, some a bit of a controversial one is Roberto Mary coming back into the sport, having done some F1 as well, back into Formula 2, um, replacing Ralph Boschon, super-subbing for Ralph Boschon. And um, in the notes, we have replaced by Roberto Mary dash why question mark and I simply thought, well, the guy's decent. He started penultimate on the grid in the feature race, I want to say it was. And, um, yeah, before... Yeah, 21st he started. Yeah, before being hit with track limits penalties, which played all series this weekend, he was in second place. Like, that is some good driving to get through the field. And more, more amusingly, despite penalties, then still managed to be in third place on the podium because of the, the nonsense of it. But, I yeah, know, it's, I it's, thought in the feature race third place went to Enzo Fittipaldi. I don't think he made it onto the No, he got a second place. Got a second oh, so place. he still made it onto the podium. I've lost track of the podium because it changed yes, like, sort of yes, it was three times. Richard for sure got disqualified because of the 0.8 kilograms of fuel that they couldn't supply and then Jay and Baruch were like, I'm on board, he got disqualified. Oh, he got a time penalty. Yeah, he was track limits as right well. Down. Yeah. So, Logan Sargent originally P3 up to P1 which second feature race win in a row there which is impressive in a weird way in itself he'll take that and is now 
a bona fide championship contender. Mm. Um, then Fittipaldi in second and Mary in third, as you say. And controversial, like you say, in some ways, because on the one hand, after a drive like that, after four years out of Formula 2, you can't deny that the guy is good, and he's easily the oldest guy there as well. Um, and it's, you kind of, it's not luck at the same time that he got such a good result, but you do wonder if he didn't get that, how many people would be maybe talking about the other side of things, because realistically, he's not going to get back in F1. And F2 is all about finding, to quote their opening credits, the stars of tomorrow. And he's kind of been there and done that and driven around the back and got the t-shirt for it. And as good as he is, and as impressive as that is, surely that drive should have gone to maybe someone in F3 or even, as we all keep liking to say, W Series and a certain Jamie Chadwick. So it's impressive, but frustrating. And there's nothing against him. It's just... The unfortunate way that F2 and F3 work. And yeah, I suppose everyone in W Series is a bit caught up in their season. They want to drop out of their season so early when there's potential prize money to be gained to go to F2 very early without. Well, even then, just super sub in for one round, see how it goes. You don't have to, to do anything there, you know? Yeah, it's, that's... You see that a lot of the other time, and I've been watching it for three years now, and this is the third year, and there's been times where they've just come in for a race and that's that. You know, you look at um, Jack Doohan at the end of last season when he finished his F3 campaign, came in for Abu Dhabi, did all right there, and there was no commitment or anything at that point, so... Yeah, this is very true. Um, it, there's other ways it could have been done, but, I mean, I don't hate seeing someone sort of really shuffle up the grid and pr- make some good overtakes. It's nice to see good racing on circuit, and... I think from an entertainment perspective, I, we really ought not to complain having Mary back on the grid. And yeah, it, it just provided a bit of entertainment, which, I mean, it wouldn't have been dull without him either. It was a good, decent weekend and no. a lot of good racing, especially in F2 and F3. F1 was a bit bland, and I think, again, the sprint race is to blame for that, which I'm sure we'll get to record the F1 in a bit. But yeah, it was just it's just another solid I, I, weekend. I think with, with Mary, it is the problem that we have with, F2 and F3 overall in that we enjoyed ourselves but it was frustrating mainly due to track limits and it's the thing I was listening to our friends over at Inside F2 and their review of um, the weekend earlier today and they played a clip from a previous episode where they talked talk about the sprint race and one of the guests they had on was saying about how he doesn't think it's, it's a bad thing that track limits are being enforced and I don't think either, like, okay, track limits, track limits, it's obviously a lot easier on street circuits because, you know, walls. Um, but for some word like Austria, and it's consistently a problem in Austria, it, it doesn't seem to matter how many time penalties they hand out, it doesn't really stop anyone. So I feel like, obviously you're not going to put Sasha's curves there because that's stupid, but you need to put something there to deter them from it. And the consistency with which they were given out was frustrating. Again, we had that in the Formula 1, but we had that here as well. And the, the final bit on that I want to say is that, and I was talking about this with a friend of the podcast, Jacob Phillips, about this as well, um, in between rounds, was you've got this, after last season of F1 in particular, they brought in this VAR system, which was meant to be off-site to deal with all of these issues so that you would never see the dreaded message of this will be investigated after the race. So you can have some people who are paid a nice bit of money to go and look at all this stuff so that we can then trust them to tell the race stewards 
this is what's happened, this is the decision we should make, do that. So you don't then find out the race result four or five hours afterwards like we did on Sunday for Formula 2. So why the heck is that not working? Why is that not being done? Because I don't mind the track limits being enforced as long as you do it immediately. And you can't say you've not got enough cameras or enough people there because you're the steward, you're the FIA, you're, you're the people in charge of it. You Like, it's your responsibility, this is your job. Um, so it's just, it's that lack of doing it because again, it, you, we enjoyed the F2 feature race. It was a great race. But then, if, if you're just a casual viewer and then you go check later, completely different podium. And it's like, what, mm. the, what the heck happened to it? It takes enjoyment out of it because it's like, I enjoyed that race, but I enjoy it less now in retrospect and it tarnishes it and it's frustrating as a, as a fan. Yeah, they have all these tools to do it properly, punctually and within the race. So you don't have this awkward scenario of it's like is it that meme from the community where the guy walks back in having got pizza and the entire room's on fire and there's a fight mm. and you're sort of like well, what the hell happened here and you just literally sort of check your phone a bit later just to see if there's been any sort of final things handed out from F2 and you're like oh the finishing order's completely different excellent mm. yeah. I'll say again we'd have been happy with either podium but it's just like again Sergeant he knew with, with Mary originally he had the penalty. He knew he wasn't going to be on the podium. So Sergeant was able to go in for third place because he was promoted. They could do that immediately. So why were not they able to do it for the others? Like, okay, you maybe have to delay the podium for five, ten minutes where you check if Rashore has enough fuel there. You send someone out quickly. There should be a quick way to do that. And again, for Drew, look, that should be slammed on because that's a time penalty if it's track limits. So if you can do it for one, why can you not do it for others? Especially podium if you're going to prioritize it do the podium at least for anyone further down the field who won't either won't necessarily move up into a podium place position or a points position it's less urgent but it's still there's no excuse for it in in my mind and it's it's rather frustrating mm, you essentially it seems to be the word we're, we're saying yeah, like, you should today. essentially start at the basically work through the finishing order and go do you have it any penalties? No, then just work your way down. So essentially, you clear the podium, then you clear the points paying positions, then you clear the rest. Exactly. And that way, at least you've got an equally, if you can get that done as fast as possible during the race as well. Otherwise, because we saw it in Austria 2020, was it the Austrian Grand Prix or the Styrian Grand Prix, where they gave Lewis Hamilton that penalty on track and it meant that Lando Norris yeah. knew what to fight for. They said, You're not going to yeah. catch Hamilton, but we know he's got the penalty. So if you can at least catch him... So just get within five seconds of him and you're yeah. sorted. Otherwise you so. have teams potentially going, just hold off till the end of the race, hold off till the end of the race. Oh, we could have caught him, but we didn't, so he had enough of a buffer to withstand his penalty. Other, and that denies us the really cool Lando Norris, what I still think of as one of the best laps. It's Carl, Carlos signs in Brazil, you don't want that situation again yeah. with, with Lando. Because you, you, he did a mega lap, like you say. And I think you... I want that thing where you you have what I for that Lando lap for me is one of the all time best laps of Formula One, especially of the modern era, where it is just perfection and the tension that is in that moment because the stewarding has been done promptly and properly. And then to come back to Austria and find it's deteriorated a little bit. Not the only thing that's deteriorated. And it's frustrating the fact that you were able to do it. It's not like you were never able to and it's just consistently bad. It's like you're just inconsistent. Yeah, if we if it was a place where it was in it was con, continue consistently bad, fair enough. Like the TV coverage at Monaco, live with it. It's consistently bad. But having come it from Austria, 
where it's been good before and it's usually a good race and there's been other points that we will cover in the main F1 podcast that have put a bit of a black mark over the weekend but it's just annoying that they didn't get this stewarding right especially with the F2 and a little bit again with F3 and the same again with F1 it just seems to be a case of they need to look at how track limits are enforced or potentially change the way the white lines run around the edge because if you have circuits where there are curbs that aren't necessarily fast we have these rumble strip curbs at the side of the circuit that are no, by no means faster mm. and if anything slidey as well a driver is still punished for going over them but you're punished them for just getting close to it like I think there's still room for a driver it's to just stray like the, so the, it seems that it changed from previous years this year before it would be you need all four tyres over that white line whereas this year it seemed you just have that front right on the line and you're done. Mm. So it seems very, again, in that sense, it's very inconsistent as well. And it's just, I do not, I would much rather you have the strictest rules imaginable and you enforce the living daylights out of them rather than changing them minutely and then being just inconsistent in how you then enforce them because, or just untimely in how you enforce them then because it just, like you say, it takes away from, from everything. Yeah, I think there's, there's hundreds of better ways of doing it in the track limits debacle, but I mean, we'll shuffle on from it quickly. We'll mention Marcus Armstrong. He had a uh, dominant. So, talking of inconsistency. Yeah, talking of inconsistency, we'll move on to Marcus Armstrong. And uh, dominant sprint race, good for him, but uh, yeah. yeah, just a bit of a sort of. And then crushed out in the feature race, and that was him, essentially, yeah. which it's frustrating because he's been around a little while now. I, I'm going to be brutal, and maybe this is a teaser for a future episode where Jacob and I are going to be going through the F2 grid and determining in our mind who is going to make it to F1. I don't think Armstrong is. And it's that unfortunate thing of, he's a good driver, but he's not a great one for F1. And he's, he's kind of in that same category as Drew and Drogovic in that this year he needs to be one of those years. And it's it's not bad. Mm. But it's, it's not great. Yeah, the problem is... It's not what he needed to be. He's up against a lot of other drivers for whom this year has to be their year, and those drivers have made significantly more of their year being their year than he has, and at the moment it just has WEC written all over it, unfortunately. Um, Which there's nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with. with. I'd just like to point that out. <laughs> tried to catch a bit of the six hours of uh, Monza this weekend. Good racing. I will, yeah. again, touch on yep. WEC later I think in the F1 review where I want to have a little or earlier depending on which audio you listen to this go and find our F1 review when you finish listening to this and um, f- listen along till you get to the point where I talk about sausage curbs because there was an incredible moment involving a sausage curb at uh, the six hours of Monza so uh, yeah but anyway back to I can't really find a smooth transition from that so I'll just um, say a drive- Fittipaldi has earned himself a very good dinner which will include sausages that's a staple of a good dinner. Vienna, which is in Austria, does really good sausages, and I think that's that's the transition. Yes, and that that is what Enzo Fittipaldi deserves because, as the note says, he's really coming into a strong season. He's had points every weekend since Imola, and he's only five points away from Jehan Druvula in the championship standings, which. Good for you, baby shark. Yeah, I mean, if he can catch and overtake Druvula, that puts him into fourth place overall, which is. I, not a shabby place to be at all. The drivers ahead of him are a little further ahead. I know that uh, Porsche and Drugovic are pretty much running away with the season ahead of them. I think probably worth third place is sitting. Yeah, Sergeant is second at the moment, I think. Is he? Second or third. He's, he's 
he's up there. This fe these two feature race wins have really helped him out, and I'm again going to agree with Ooh, no, one of our no, you are over on. You are correct I, by one single oh, point. Just say it again. Say it again. I need to hear that. Timo Albus Daly, you are correct. Um, Drugovic, 154 points. Logan Sargent, 115. And Theo Porcher, 114. There is not much between. So, what Fittipaldi in fourth place, or nearly in fourth place, is good. It's kind of, they are the ones that maybe could make a late, a latest surge in the second half of the season. And we're all saying that Drugovic is unassailable, but I mean, he wasn't on the podium at either race this weekend. He got points, sure, but neither did Teo Porcher, not on the podium for either one, even after all the kerfuffle. And I'm going to be agreeing with Inside F2's LA Rulshaw and be saying that I'm going to back Sergeant for the championship now. I think he's going to he's going to come back, which ultimately means I've screwed him by saying this, but uh, my apologies is all I can say. <laughs> I wouldn't be annoyed if we see a long-range sort of lunge at Drugovic championship points-wise. Daniel Ricciardo-style torpedo up the inside to try and make it into a corner for the last points in the championship to get it. That could be exciting. Like just sort of slowly building up a really, really steady campaign. I mean looking at Sergeant's scoring, he hasn't had a pointless weekend since Jeddah where he scored nothing in the sprint or feature races, but every other weekend apart from Monte Carlo, he's had double points across the weekend. So again he's had more or less consistency re again really consistent key. weekend <laughs> more so if anything than um Drugovic's, which has started to tail off like sprints have never been too much of his strong suit but then monte carlo nothing in the sprint race and then sort of nothing in the feature race this weekend for Drugovic. so it's i don't want to say it's starting to pack up and i don't want to tread on my own toes when i get to my spinner spoilers alert but yeah, it's looking like it's going to be a feisty battle at the top of the F2 standings, which now we sort of... Talking about feisty, though, Formula 3, unless you've got anything else on F2. No, I was just thinking of a way of transitioning into F3, but you did it nicely there, and I was going to say feisty yeah. battle. Um, there was some good battles up and down the grid. Now, for me, um, Dave Maloney and Kyle Collette had a brilliant battle in the rain in F3, and they stood out as top tier drivers in that moment while they might not have been scrabbling for top tier points the class at which they were driving was phenomenal I won't say too much more on it so otherwise I'll sort of run out of things to say for again spoiler alert when I get to my winner but yeah F3 was spicy I liked it yeah I mean the, the sprint race itself it was it was looking so good for one Manuel Correa and we were all wanting that so badly and a bloody car breaks on him and it is just the saddest thing in a little while. And I mean, nothing wrong with Jack Crawford. He did a great turn then. It was pretty sublime driving from him after that to get for the win. And you still got to be there in the right place and deliver it. Especially in F3 because, you know, that could just go off at any time. Um, but again, Correa, you just got to feel for the guy because that would have just been just rather, rather nice. Hajar wins feature race in the rain, Victor Martin second, Oli Behrman third. Hajar, again, third win of the season, if I'm not mistaken, and just proving pretty solid there. I mean, it was, again, it was a wet race, and he just did exactly what he needed to do there. I mean, it was a, it was a crazy wet race. It was, yeah, no, it's just, I was, I was trying to just pay attention to everything all the time and not try and make notes or anything and just try and focus on where everyone was because it was all over the place at points but again Victor Martin second doing what 
Drogovic and Portia should have been doing and getting consistent points, but also being on the podium. So that was excellent to see. And Oli Berman as well on the podium, which, if I'm not mistaken, he was on the podium at Silverstone as well. So consistency from the Brit again. And so- solid. It's again, it was F3, it was crazy, but Hajar maybe being the one to, again, if we're going to be comparing it to F2, coming up with this resurgence now to try and get closer to Victor Martins and give him a bit of a run for his money for the championship. Yeah, Hajar uh, winning the sprint race in Sakir, a win at Silverstone in the sprint race, and then a win in the feature race in Austria. So, again, building up a decent little championship. And 97 points now inches him a little further ahead of Arthur Leclerc on 91, and he's only a point behind championship leader Victor Martins on 98. So, uh, game on. Yeah, very much game on at the top of the charts for Formula 3 as well, which is one of the things... It, it, just a good little series to enjoy and just basically pick a guy and see how well they do if you know nothing about it it's the what's your strategy for this isn't it that, that seems to be your strategy for uh, f1 fantasy league which we will we almost certainly will or have touched on uh, yeah i don't think you did too i can't remember we'll talk about it when we get to recording them, but, but yes um but yeah well, that brings us nicely on anyway to our winners and spinners. So if we start off with the Formula 2, where I touched upon this earlier, Sargent is my winner straight out of the box because I'm just going to get on that hype train. I'm doing it. And I don't think he's going to... Even if, regardless of if he wins the championship this year or not, I think 2024, he's in a Williams. I can see him definitely ending up in a Williams. Um, it's a fair shout. I don't have anything to counter it. I don't have any arguments to start there. I, I think that's a... This podcast is going very well for me. This podcast... It, I'm going to say it's getting worse as our opinions get closer and closer together because we're having less and less arguments. <laughs> um, my winner, though, Richard Vershaw. I'm just going to overlook his fuel infringement. Um, I. It was a sublime race. It, it was more than sublime. It was just an inspired strategy. For yeah, it, he looked untouchable. And a 10-second lead in a Formula 2 race is... P8 to P1, put the tyres on a perfect time to just... Abs- I mean, it was ridiculous seeing how easy... The drivers on that alternate strategy were overtaking those on the on the wet tire. It would just looked like there was just nothing anyone could do about it. it like, yeah, boop, 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 you had sort no, of bye bye swarms of them going past at different points in time, and it provided some proper chaos and action on track. But yeah, Vashor just blew through the field, got up into first, and then just disappeared. And almost like he didn't break a sweat from it really good stuff to see and then annoyingly obviously we had the fuel infringement but we don't mention that and then equally my notes the, th- the only thing I feel like I want to say on that one is that I get that there's the annoying phrase if we win and lose together as a team and there's times when that's fair enough like if you get punted out or if you have a mechanical failure or if the team messes up running a pit stop or something but in these cases I feel like a fuel infringement yes that is the team and the and it's the driver working with that. But the driver's got nothing to do with that. You trust the team. Why do you have to penalise the driver for these kinds of things? If you're going to... I mean, it's like Sebastian Vettel Budapest last year in the F1. You have... It, especially when in that case... And in this case, actually, crucial podium positions. Mm. Instead of taking... Disqualifying the driver, find the team, whatever amount, and let the driver keep their championship points, but take those points off the team's constructors' standings. Yeah, I think... Because I feel like that's a balance point, because, it, again, it's already... I mean, it's just frustrating that this is the issue anyway, it's a few infringements. If it was in, if it's more or less anything else, you can understand, because it's just racing, and 
but in this instance it's very much one-sided yeah so. it's very much on the team to fuel up the car for what they think how they want to run it through the race they obviously know how many push laps they're going to have what their fuel usage is going to be and what style of race they're going to run that's very much the team's thing and yeah like we saw with aston martin last year i think it's it's unfair that it also sort of knocks the driver back and i think there needs to be a way that you you can separate the two and you take away points from the constructor and leave the driver with the points that they earned and yeah it sucks but i think equally it then opens up the gray area of what do you call a team issue what do you call a driver issue how do you separate it from what is well maybe we'll do a future podcast where we go through the list of everything and we'll decide and then we just got to make a petition to turn into fia law if we how hard can it be if we do it neatly enough i reckon the podcast could become a petition yeah but anyway yeah it's annoying but equally at the attendant minus i do have uh, gotta say sergeant coming into a good form though he's been consistent but he's just sort of pushed it up a notch and 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 he's just reminding everyone in f1 that i'm also an american americans can drive you don't need to look at you don't need to look at colton her to better award these types like i'm right here come and come and deal with me yeah if we want someone from that side of the atlantic logan Sargent is rocketing his way through to being in one of those top spots or at least an f1 seat i counter my own prediction from earlier he replaces Kevin Magnussen in 2024. Ooh. Uh, Haas. American outfit, American driver, finally. That's not shabby. That is not shabby at Jesse all. Jesse, agreeing with me at least three times on a podcast, I'm just going to have to go straight to who is your spinner because I just can't contain yeah, my, my spinner. Um, I'm employing the tough love system that works so well on our podcast, and um, I'm going to throw some shade on Felipe Drogovic. Because despite the fact that on all the previous F2 podcasts, I have championed that boy. I was like, he is cannonballing through the season. He's pulling out a lead. And then it just seems to have taken a bit of a tumble. And I'm not about that. I, I, I want to encourage him on. And as we've done with Mick Schumacher, a little bit of tough love on the Undercut podcast goes a long way. And uh, it's, it's worked better than we thought it would, didn't it? Exactly. We've found a proven system. And I want to put it into action with Drugovic. So... Uh, yeah, could have done better this weekend, my guy. I, 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 on the other hand, chose Novelak because it was just absolutely nowhere. I mean, it was kind of it seems mean to pick the teammate of the guy leading the championship, but at the same time, I am, and I, and there we go. It just because sometimes, like Armstrong, you have a good race and you have a bad race, or you have a mediocre race and a better race, and then you just have some of the drivers where they just have terrible races consistently and this is not the kind of consistency that we're about um there's not really much else to say there's two bad results and i've also included the stewards for previous reasons and i won't get into that rant again yeah i mean not a good weekend for Novalak. and i think that's the thing when you start to struggle at the back of f2 and you find yourselves in with the scrappier drivers at the back of the field it's you either can pull yourself free of that and look good or you have to get you end up becoming scrappy to stay in that in even on the track and then it sort of spirals negatively so it's yeah not a good weekend for Clement Novelak. we'll move on to people who did have good weekends but in Formula 3 I mean we touched on it earlier Hajar pole and third win of the year enough said to be honest it's just boys doing good God be proud of the little guy. Yeah, I feel like he's a lot shorter than I'm, or a lot taller maybe than I'm giving him credit for. I just, I look at him and he seems not quite Yoda size, but I just get this feeling there's this little guy who's just very good at what he does. 
and good vibes. Yeah. I mean, equally good vibes for me. I've gone for a weird double assignment of my F3 winner, and I've gone for Maloney and Colette because... I mentioned it earlier, the battling from them was exceptional, and I've written, it It was intense, and but it was clean. You could tell that they weren't pulling their punches in what they were doing on track, but they were properly duking it out, and I just love to see it. I love to see them really rolling their sleeves up and getting down with proving why they should be in the seats they're in and driving for an F2 seat, and yeah, good job from them. There was some fantastic action all the way up, sort of basically out of turn one through the not really a turn, turn two through turn three and then continuing on through turn four, diving up and down the inside, swapping around before breaking zones. Chef's kiss. Classic Formula 3. Yeah, classic Formula 3 or equally um, Fernando Alonso and Seb Vettel in F1. We saw them do it and we're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. good old racing days. Look at them go. F3 does it. We just go, cool beans. Yeah. I, they deserve some praise for doing essentially world champion driving in Formula 1. My F3 spinner, again, I'm maybe employing the tough love strategy. I don't know if I've decided I want to, to use that kind of energy on, on this driver yet, but uh, once again, Chauvinek had a couple of incidents, one of which I admit wasn't his fault, but at the same time he was still there and he could have maybe not have been. Um, and he was my spinner for Silverstone and it just... Like I say, he was, he was back, I think, it's always after a hiatus, and the consistency is there, but again, not in the way that he probably wants. And apparently I have to recommend Specsavers again, who at this point should really be paying his royalties. Yeah, not great from him, and equally really bad weekend for me for uh, Giuseppe Maria Marti, or basically everyone called him Pepe Marti. Um, a horribly clumsy crash going through turn four with O'Sullivan, who had been doing really well actually. O'Sullivan mm. putting in some good moves, really battling through the field in very much a Maloney Colette way. And sometimes I believe almost with Maloney and Colette that far up the field. But then just got nuked by, I think his teammate, wasn't it? Um, I think Marty's his teammate. I can't remember my F3 grid as much as I ought to. Honestly, I got I got a little bit lost because there's just, there was so much happening and this t- I got lost, I don't know. Yeah, but answer. I need to check that. Uh, Pepe basically spun him round and then ripped his own front left wheel off by crashing into him a second time in the same crash. And then, or it could have been Marty's teammate then went into the back of Marty and got front wing damage as well. So basically, he caused essentially three crashes, two crashes, but with the same guy that caused him more and more damage each time. So. It, not a good look. In another way, classic Formula 3. Yeah, classic Formula 3. The way that we want. <laughs> uh, we like to see sort of low speed, no injury crashes because of crashes. And we, saw, we saw a lot of the racing being incredibly close up to turn three, and you had like four or five cars all within like a feather, feathers width of each other, and it was brilliant to see that. And it's frustrating then when you go the other side of it when we have this. Literally a turn later. You can do it. And I know you're learning because you're F3 and it's fear series and it's the whole point, but come on. Mm. I think come at on. one point, I'm thinking I might say it was O'Sullivan who just made an absolute wicked pass just before even a... It wasn't a DRS dive bomb or it wasn't even a DRS dive blast pass. He just had a good exit from turn one and just rocketed through turn two and made a big pass mm-hmm. on two other drivers. I was like, damn, son, that's some impressive driving. <laughs> and, yeah, it was just annoying to then see his race get completely wiped out by... Uh, Pepe there, so uh, bad Pepe, slap on the nose. Yeah, boop. Um, that is pretty much it, though, for our Austrian 
G GP2. I've gone back to quite early days. Got back in time. Uh, uh, we joined um, oh. Julian Palmer in uh, GP2. I did wonder what he was doing here. Um, anyway, back in the world of F2 and F3, that is it done for Austria. It is they're both back for France and for Budapest so for before the summer break, so there's going to be plenty of action there for both. Because was no F two is back can... for France, I believe. Not F three. Um, F three is not. F two is back for France and Budapest. F three, we're only getting F three is Budapest. Then we get which, both of them in. Spot. If you didn't watch any of that last year, I recommend and go and have a look at the highlights because that was crazy. Very, very crazy, yeah. which I know F3 is crazy, but the fact I'm saying it multiple times shows you how crazy it really is. Um, but yes, in the meantime, Jesse, where can people find you on the internet and in real life? Uh, the people can find me on the internet, uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, uh, usually under Jesse on Cars. They can also find the podcast on Twitter, where we're just, I think it's Undercut Podcast. I'm usually sort of... Uh, posting stuff over there you can get all of our pictures you can get links to all of our uh, podcasts and previous episodes as well as ellie may's takeaways key takeaways rather from the formula one uh, as well as bits of our predictions memes and the general sort of gunk that we also put on our instagram but uh, yeah you can find me all across the internet as well as in real life um driving for ye oldy car magazine this week i'm off to go and drive a v12 lagonda my editor said you have a budget of a million pounds go find something so I did well enjoy that oh I will I guess is the only thing we could say there and don't do a Pepe Marty I will try not to because that's going to cost you big time I will try not to drive into the back of my editor going through turn 4 of uh, <laughs> the Red Bull ring in a V12 Lagonda from 1939 there's my world prediction for the next week and let's see if it happens oh god no not your predictions <laughs> it'd be the one time they come true Timo, where can the people find you on the internet and in real life, if indeed you want to meet people in real life? No, they can they can stay they can stay where they are for real life. But if you want to find me online, then on the curbs for my motorsport interviews every week, every Thursday. I've got a couple left at the moment from last week for to go with Extremely with Emma Gilmore and Lance Woolridge, so good fun there. You also find me over on Is It Fast, Paddock Sorority and Supercar Blondie, as well as TikTok and Instagram because why the heck not at this point? And also, if you fancy some other motorsport stuff that is just a little bit electric, and by a little bit I mean a lot, Nitro RX podcast is, we're going to have a, being a brand new episode out this week, and or sometime in the past, depending how far in the future you're listening to this, where we've got a great interview with Connor Martell, one of the drivers. So go and subscribe and like and share and have fun with all of that. And... In the meantime, I think we will see you next time for the French Grand Prix in France. Yeah, the French Grand Prix, of course, coming to you from France, as French Grand Prix would. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you um, aujourd'hui, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>